welcome to episode 113 of A Thompson and Other Disappointments, your twice-weekly delve into the worlds of politics, dystopia, and awfulness. Uh, if this is the first time that you've listened to this podcast, um, I like to style it as a sort of... Um, uh, I don't know, like a, it, it, in the same way maybe that some stand-up comedians bring you into the gig and you're excited and upbeat about being in a comedy club, you know, it's funny, it's good times, and then this one comedian talks about super depressing stuff, and at the end of it, you sort of walk out of the comedy club and you're like, well, you know, I was upbeat and enthusiastic on the way in, but since I left the comedy club, actually, I feel completely bereft of all hope. That's the sort of style I'm going for with this podcast. I am your host, Ada Thompson. And uh, although you may have found me on various uh, social platforms, TikTok and Twitter mostly, um, consider me the very opposite of an influencer. I'm not here to inspire you or to tell you to live your best life. I'm more like... Um, uh, look at this shit. It's fucking awful. Oh, it's like the opposite of an influencer style. It's it's what I like to call a binfluencer, right? Just if if it's your first time listening. I hope that makes sense. We are binfluencers here. We all sit on this podcast together. I point out how shit everything is and then tell you to all sit down and fucking drink with me, mostly. Um, big shout out to the Patreons, as ever, for supporting the show. Um, there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole ten of you now, which is pretty cool. Uh, I only set it up like six months ago, and I know that sounds incredibly modest, uh, ten Patreons, but I'm super proud of it, and you guys make it all worthwhile, and you're continuing to support the growth of the show, and that means everything to me. Um, and I'm psyched about our first in-person Binfluencer meetup, which is taking place in London on Thursday the uh, sorry Thursday October the twenty seventh. Uh, more on that and what you get back through Patreon if you're interested at the end of the show. Uh, joining me tonight is a friendly face. Uh, I met him at the Byline Festival in Notting Hill a couple of months back, and we shared an afternoon drink talking about uh, mutual friends and about politics and about uh, the feasibility of, I don't know, a progressive alliance and electoral reform. Uh, you guys will have seen him on everything from um, LBC, uh, taking Nigel Farage to task, uh, writing for The Guardian, The Metro, appearing on The Jeremy Vine Show, uh, right through to his frankly ballsy appearances going deep in the belly of the beast at Brexit protests, asking Brexiters to explain their position while calmly and eloquently wrapping facts, stats, and dare I say objective reality around them uh my guest tonight please welcome to the show femi Woo! <laughs> all right i love the way you described your show because it reminded me of daniel sloss one of my favorite comedians who basically do like three quarters of the show hilarious dark comedy yeah. and in the last quarter he'll just rip your soul apart <laughs> yeah i like daniel sloss too he's got he, like he strikes a nice balance between sort of yeah, like outright hilarity and then a, a sort of rare rare breed of like earnestness for stand-ups, you know? Yeah. Exactly. I love him. Um, so how are you doing, man? Uh, I was worried that you wouldn't get to, to jump onto this call because uh, I saw you were... Are you at Labour Conference this week? Or you... I'm, I, I have a ticket to get to Liverpool. Um, okay. I think I'm going to either refund or not use it on the basis of... The priority for Liverpool is getting Labour to commit to proportional representation, and 80% of the members are already there. Uh, the issue last time was the unions, and for reasons which you're aware of, 
I'm not the best. I'm not the most popular person among the unions right now. Um, mm. So I figured if I'm going to put the cause first, I should keep as low profile as possible and okay. probably shouldn't go to conference. That's a pretty um, admirable stance to take, isn't it? Because I'd have thought somebody like you, you want to be amongst it. You know, clearly you've gone to, mm. you know, these protests. You're not scared of getting into it and debating yep. people. And so in, in some ways you would expect you to be up there in your yep. spiritual home right like talking facts and stats and and getting the intel on why people feel a certain way so it's it's admirable that you've kind of taken this decision to to stand back it's frankly painful because i remember uh, at the time of the last election 2019 i remember sitting in my car on the morning having just voted i was about to head down to london for all the media stuff mm. and i sat there in my car and thought okay, I finally, after two years on the road, or two years of campaigning, I've finally done everything I can do to try and stop Brexit. Yeah. And the math says we're going to lose this thing. And I broke down in tears. And that entire period was traumatic. I'm now in therapy because of everything I went through for those few years. Mm. And the one hope that I had, I mean, I made a video in January, uh, straight after the election, about how the path to saving the UK Namely, you need to get Labour to commit to proportional representation as the first step. Mm. And then on that basis, they can then work with other parties on the basis of, hey, if you vote for Labour, at least that will make all your future votes for your parties actually count. That means Lib Dems and Greens will have a reason to vote Labour in, all future, in, in, in just a one-off election so that they can then have a better country afterwards. And that was the thinking. And now this Labour conference is the biggest moment um, in terms of... Uh, are we going to get that future we need? And I have to think, all right, what is the best thing for the cause? And I remember during the People's Vote campaign, we were trying to get the Corbyn wing of Labour to, to listen to us and to support a second referendum. But Tony Blair kept piping up. And I was just like, dude, shut up. They hate you. Why, why, are you, why is your ego so big that you have to just speak even when you, you're being damaging to the cause? And I, I cannot live with myself if I make the same mistake. If right. I know that I'm not popular within the people who we need to convince right now, I should stay as far away from Liverpool as possible. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what is it? I, I don't want to sort of peel the onion too much, but what is it about proportional representation? In fact, do you know what? Let's start off from the get-go. Let's define proportional representation for some of the listeners because I get listeners from all quarters, some people who know me from the comedy world, some people who have followed me on Twitter and, you know, uh, my my political stuff some people who just like podcasts and not everyone's mm. going to know what pr is so could you give us a little yeah. definition so what we have now in terms of our in terms of the voting system in the uk is called first past the post mm. that basically means that in any, in any given constituency only you'll all vote for different parties vote for different candidates from different parties and the candidate with the most vote will win what that means is that even if a candidate only gets 33 percent that means that even if other parties get a combined total that's more than that, that means that 60, what, 64, 66, 67%, 67% of uh, the votes don't mean anything in that constituency. So if, for example, in your constituency, let's say 40% vote Tory and 30% vote Green and 30% vote Labour, mm. that means that you've got 40% wanting to be, be ruled by, generally speaking, right-wing policies and 60% wanting to be ruled by, in general, left-wing policies, mm. and yet you'll still have a right-wing candidate, a right-wing MP representing that, that, that uh, constituency. 
Now, if you theoretically replicated that across the whole country and that happened in every constituency, mm -hmm. then you'd have 100% of the MPs in Parliament being Tories, i.e. right wing, even though 60% of the country has voted left wing. Yeah. Now, that's the problem with the current system. A proportional system would basically mean that whatever percentage a certain party gets, either in a region or across the country, is reflected in the number of parliament seats that they get in parliament, so the number of MPs they have. And so you actually get a country that's a parliament that's more reflective of the people. Um, because right now, the Tories have 56% of the seats in parliament, so controlling majority, even though only 44% actually voted for them, mm -hmm. which means that the votes of 56% of the, of the country don't actually mean a thing because the Tories can pass any law they like without being challenged or even having to consult the votes that the parties voted for by the majority of the people. And that's why proportional representation is where we need to go. Why? Because in all but three elections since the Second World War, the majority has voted for parties to the left of the Conservative Party. That means Labour, Lib Dems, SNP, Greens. That's where over 50% of the vote has been in almost every single election. So we are a progressive voting country, but the Tories stay in power because the voting system favours them, because there's only basically one party on the right, effectively. Right. And that's a really, really important point to ram home to people, because there's this sort of feeling, this this sense that permeates through society, through families, friends, relatives, um, that the entire country hold the same attitudes as the newspapers that then mm. govern the headlines and flood the media landscape, i.e. that everybody hates immigrants, that everybody um, wants what, like the NHS privatised, or like everyone would hold these, these pinch point right wing policies close to their heart. But actually, as you've touched on there, the reality is that most people out there, by quite a healthy majority, hold very progressive attitudes. And really the issue is like, so you talk PR, I think of it more along the lines of like vote splitting. So if mm. like Lib Dems, Greens and Labour all got together in a room and all just said, look, this is fucking stupid. None of us are going to get in power uh, by ourselves. So why don't we all just become one big bloated party that has broadly progressive left leaning policy ideas? And then where we hit a bit of a hurdle internally, we'll form lobby groups and then thrash it out like that would make more sense to me. Um, is there a reason Under why you don't sort of lobby hard to Lib Dems and Greens and try to get them to do, like join Labour or? Uh, so it's difficult because um, on the ba if we're talking about for the system we have now, whereby basically you are only going to get either one party on the right or one party on the left, mm. um, then yes, a coalition situation would be better, electoral packs that would be better. But I mean, it's it's still based on a lie because there aren't just two points of view in the country. Essentially, there are big differences between the Lib Dem approach and the Labour approach, or at least the Corbyn Labour approach. Mm. And there are going to be some areas of pretty major disagreement. And so you do want that multiplicity, that different variety of options for people to choose when they're at the balance box, so people can feel like they've got real democratic choice. It's not just left or right, that they can actually choose precisely who they want representing them, what sort of policies they want to live under. And definitely the last election when you had um, Corbyn on one hand and J Joe Swinson on the other, um, you had somebody who was literally in coalition with the Tories once before and somebody who is on the left of the Labour Party, they did not see eye to eye. And I was begging them to work together at that last election, absolutely begging them but they kept doing all they could. I mean, I, I saw some horrendous stuff, like 
uh, Joe Swinson tweeting that a vote for Labour is a vote for Brexit, even though Labour was officially supporting a second referendum. Mm. I saw Corbyn writing to Labour activists, sending them to um, uh, the constituency of um, uh, a Jewish woman, uh, a Jewish former Labour, who's, what's her name? Um, who's the uh, Jewish Labour MP who is left, left, left the party? Uh, oh, fuck. Yeah, I can uh, see her face. Uh, yeah, I can see her face as well. <laughs> Name is completely. Uh, if I had a, if I had the budget for a producer, Femi, I would be like <laughs> giving them an eyeball. But yeah, let's. Yeah, oh, we'll but, figure it out in a minute. Yeah. So um, and so it, basically, a constituency where Labour had no chance of winning. Yeah. Um, but basically, screwing over the Lib Dems just on principle. Yeah. Um, and that kind of in, in lack of willingness to work together, it's what is really killing UK politics. Hmm. Hmm. And and. The pushback. Let's talk about the pushback or uh, against PR because the the sense that I get is that it's seen as a, a sort of radical solution to fix the problems of people who can't get elected. That seems to be how it's framed. <laughs> but actually, correct me if I'm wrong. The majority of European countries have already moved to this system. Is that right? Yeah, most European countries have some form of PR. As far as um... The only country that's the closest to where we are is Belarus. They have, I think one of their chambers is uh, first past the post, and mm. they're also known as um, Europe's last dictatorship. Yeah. Um, that is not the model of democracy we should be following. Um, the America also has a, has a similar system with their electoral college, um, but it basically means that you consistently get a situation where a party that only a minority voted for ends up with majority control. Mm. Um, and that means that the people are not reflected in, in the government, and that's not real democracy. Mm. And so, what's the what's the pushback from Labour then been so far? So I've heard a bunch of different arguments. Angela Rayner was on um, uh, Emily Emily Maitlis's new show, The News Agents, a couple of days ago. Great show. Or yesterday, saying yeah, um, saying uh, she doesn't. She's a she's an FP F, first past the post uh, woman on the basis that she doesn't want to see extremist parties get into parliament. Now, that's an argument we've heard um, many, many times. The argument for that is that basically, if you've got a proportional system where seats match votes, then that means that smaller parties have a larger chance of being able to get into parliament, and therefore you're going to get basically partners like UKIP and maybe even the BNP getting the odd couple of seats in parliament. Now, to be frank, good. It's, right. it's because those arguments, the arguments of you, if the if the arguments of UKIP had been discussed publicly in Parliament for the last twenty years, mm. then we would not have had Brexit because their entire plan would have been completely ripped apart on a daily basis every time they suggested leaving the EU. There have been people would have been like, "What sort of deal do you want? Yeah. None, none of these deals would work. It would all damage the GDP, etc." Not to mention the arguments around Brexit were um, about people feeling a lack of control, a lack of a lack of democracy, and yeah, under this system, people do have their voices silenced, and it's because we have a system whereby people who would otherwise vote for smaller parties don't have a voice, aren't represented in Parliament. The people had that that deep yearning desire to finally take back control, to be heard, etc. And and secondly, our current system fosters extremism mm. because people are forced to choose between one of two parties. And we, the people at large don't have any real say over those parties. They can do whatever they want. Because the Tory party, for example, it's controlled by it's about 200,000 mostly rich middle-aged white men who hate Muslims and think and are against um, uh, wealth redistribution. 
That's mm. who the Tory membership is. And the people have no control over that. Yet they're constantly forced to choose between these two parties that they can't control. And as a result, we ended up, we, we've ended up with a party that the United Nations says, based on the race report, is trying to normalize white supremacy. We mm. get the extremism by being forced into, into, into two directions. Not to mention, Nigel Farage didn't have to set foot in Parliament in order to make the Tories do whatever he wanted for the last six years. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a solid point as well. I mean, it's it's not necessarily the the bums on seats in Parliament. It's the um, the weight that you carry in political circles and journo political circles, um, mm. and the influence that you're able to command. Uh, in exactly. this case, um, do you think so? Something you said a second ago uh, in terms of like, let's say that uh, UKIP or the BNP or someone had managed to get a seat like 20 years ago and then their ideas would have been thrashed out on a daily basis and ripped to pieces and and like that to me feels like a bygone era now like this idea that we debate things based mm. on substance in ours as a parliament i mean today is is as good an example as any we we saw jacob rees mogg stand up was it today or, or did i just see the footage of yesterday it, it was it was i think it was today it was today right uh where he said that people that like the main opposition toward fracking was was coming Luddites. from people that were on Putin's payroll. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. So, I hope I'm not going to get myself sued here. I hope I'm not misrepresenting <laughs> the good character of Jacob Rees. Uh, but but it was something. I saw the chap. I think his name's um, Adam Bienkov from uh, yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Shared the video and said like you know Jacob Rees Mogg has just suggested that people who oppose fracking are on Putin's payroll. <laughs> And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. And then somebody like replied to it, obviously, underneath saying, and sorry, where's where's the evidence for this? And it's this kind of uh, aversion from substance and just casual throwing around of non-versation that mm. just makes me think, well, hang on a second. Like if UKIP or the BNP had won a seat 20 years ago, maybe you're right. Maybe that was before this period Trump now. Of, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, for starters, what you said about um, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg is hilarious, scary, but also hilarious in the sense that um, we do know that, I think it's, what is it, two million pounds um, so far has been donated from Russian-linked donors to the Conservative Party. Oh, yeah. And yet, and yet he's pointing the finger at people who are against fracking. Um, yeah. Secondly, um, as for the notion of being able to just say whatever you want regardless, yeah, I don't, I think that... I think we we had a better era of evidence and experts um, prior to 2016. Uh, we have a much larger cult of personality these days, which is why Jacob Rees-Mogg can sit there with his posh accent and his top hat and basically spew whatever he wants because it's it's not about what he's saying. It's about who he is, what he represents, and the style of politics he leads. Same thing with Boris Johnson. Mm. Uh, I'm curious to see what exactly the mantle is that Liz Trust manages to capture, but she's probably just figuring that out. Probably have to give Cummings a call. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't possess the same character and personality that. I mean, look, I'm not a Reese Mogg fan, but mm. he's a you know you know who he's a larger he than life character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's ostentatious. He's there. He's. He looks like he's wearing a costume. He's like in in mm. any sensible period of a parliamentary democracy, an individual like that you should look at, and then somebody else should say to you like, "Do you think he's suitable for part?" And then you should turn around and go, "Are you fucking joking?" Like, um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I I don't know what Liz Truss is going to do either. I read something earlier saying, 
that like backbenchers were already kind of saying with the economy in the state that it's in they they expect her out by like march <laughs> yeah i i i don't i mean there were there were moves before she even took office to try and get rid of her mm. um and but the thing is i want i wonder about her on the basis of she is a little bit borisy because mm. i mean she's somebody with a long history of saying that leaving the eu be bad for the uk so is boris johnson she's somebody with a long history of um quote unquote funny little gaffes so is Boris Johnson. She's somebody who flips pop position, but depending on what makes her popular and will really will happily support Brexit if it meet, gets her into number 10. So did Boris Johnson. And that clownish, I don't really know what I'm doing um, persona is what Boris Johnson had. And he's and she's got it too. And so I'm wondering if she manages to just go after that particular mantle. And if it is working with the conservative base, I don't know. Mm, I don't think it will. And for one reason, one word, in fact, uh, misogyny. I yes, think there's with, that. With Boris Johnson, uh, people loved the fact he was a bit of a clown, a bit of a buffoon mm. is the word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, when he was caught out doing something wrong or cheating on his wife or lying or, or whatever the case might be, it was wrapped up as part of this like lovable rogue kind of very... Yep. Um, well, bluster is another word that gets thrown around also. Uh, it's all part of the blustery, buffoonery, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't really work in misogynistic circles when you try to wrap it around a female character it, it, in the same way, I don't think. Um, no, I, I, I mean, the whole, I mean, the, the phrase strongman is, exists for a reason. Mm. As in, it's, it's, the, it's the basically the, the figure within, well, authoritarian circles that basically means a big strong man to basically get things done. And it's a very, it's a very masculine persona mantle that Boris Johnson managed to grab hold of. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I, I think is interesting about her premiership is it's sort of exposed to me how devoid of vision and character the, the Conservative Party more broadly are. So... Mm. I think they lent into Boris Johnson because they liked this sort of Churchillian archetype. Yeah. Uh, and then once Johnson's out the door, the first person they went for is somebody who has gone out of her way to impersonate the tone and delivery of Margaret Thatcher. So mm. it's like, you know, tiptoeing from a Churchill to a Thatcher <laughs> yeah. and then after this we'll be back to like a John Major yeah. impersonator or, you know. <laughs> That's a that's a that's a good point. Uh, so the 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 narrative I've I've always looked at Liz Trust through is more of the glass let what's it called glass ledge is that the glass the glass cliff glass cliff that's the glass cliff um, theory by basically uh, rather than glass ceiling women often find themselves thrust into positions of power right when the ship's about to sink. And um, mm. we saw what happened when David Cameron royally left um, the country and the Conservative Party at Shake Creek with um, with Brexit. He, he, he left. Boris Johnson could have taken the reins, chose not to. Let Theresa May take all the flack for those two years with the chaotic negotiations, came mm. in, took the deal that she got, she got, added 5% difference to it, and then supposedly, now that this deal's got a Johnson attached to it, now it's a, good, a great deal. And now that things have gone off the rails again, hand, hand of the ro rolls off to, to another woman who doesn't seem to have the backing of the Conservative Party anywhere near as much. And so we might end up with the same situation. She'll come in, take all the blame for the recession, the winter cold debts, and, and, and et cetera, and, and the problems with, with potentially Brexit at the end of um, uh, 2023 when we get the uh, the full import checks that Jacob Rees-Mogg called an act of self-harm, all that stuff lumped onto, onto, uh, onto Liz Truss, 
And then after that, you'll get a big, strong man in to clean up the mess and get things done again. Um, so I am worried about that whole glass cliff phenomenon repeating itself. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. I'd never really... I just sort of looked at Theresa May's uh, stepping up into number 10 as she was seen as a safe pair of hands. I think David Cameron stepped down. Uh, she had been Home Secretary for something ridiculous, like eight eight years? Or so. I think she was the longest mm. serving Home Sec in maybe ever. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking shit, mm. but it, it felt like a long, long-ass tenure. Yeah. Uh, and so she was seen as this, yeah, safe pair of hands that would guide us through this very tumultuous period. Um, uh, I, I saw it as that rather than what you've just tapped into, but that's that's really interesting. I've never seen it like that before. Um one thing I did want to get your thoughts on actually uh, tonight was you, you're sort of known for your vociferous uh, opposition to Brexit. Mm. Um, I've always sort of looked at it like I accept that the vote went the wrong way. Um, I, I probably would have got on board with it if it had been managed in a mature, like grown up fashion. Uh, where would you have stood? Like, if somebody like Theresa May, or indeed Boris Johnson, had stood up there, hands held high, and just said, look, it's it wasn't planned. The vote went the way that nobody thought it was going to. Um, it's going to take some time, so just calm down on the frothing and the flag-waving. This is going to take a minimum of 10 years to extricate and remove ourselves from a, a finely interconnected something that we helped to fucking architect. So just mm. give us a minute, stand back, we will get it done, but you just got to be fucking patient. I think if they had looked at it like that in a mature fashion, a measured, consultative way... Me, personally, I would have been like, well, it sucks that we're leaving. I don't agree with it, but I guess, fine, that makes sense. Would you? Where would you have stood on that? Um, if if they if had done that that way, I would have obviously had a bit more time with it because it would have shown that they were interested in actually delivering something that, A, wouldn't damage the country, and B, would somewhat correspond to the wishes of the people they got to vote for it. Um, I've always said that there was, there is, there would have been a right way to do Brexit, and those are either one of two ways. You either um, go, do what we did with the election, um, with the with the referendum, and then after that, you you then have David Cameron come on come on stage and say, look, during this re referendum, we've had the Leave side present multiple different versions of Leave. Some of you suggested basically staying in the single market. Some of you said basically a simple free trade deal. Some of you even suggested no deal. And the people who wanted Brexit have not got an agreement as to what that should be. However, there is a vote to leave. So what we're going to do is we're going to have town halls in every constituency across the UK. And you're all going to speak to your, your members of parliament, tell them what sort of relationship you want to have with the EU, have votes locally. And then those MPs will come back to parliament, vote on what kind of um, deal we should be negotiating. And then we'll negotiate for that. After we finish negotiating, we'll put that deal to the people and, and then we'll compare that with our old relationship with the EU. That is the most democratic way that we could have done Brexit. Mm. However, what we got instead was, from the, from the get-go, um, people voted against immigration, hard Brexit, that's what, that's what it's going to be. Uh, and you also saw that immediately, and you saw that like, two days after the, after the uh, referendum, you had Daniel Hanan, I think on Channel 4, saying um, that when he was talking about it, he was expecting that we would, would um, he always thought we would stay in the single market and maintain free, free movement. Um, and the, the presenter was like, 
hang on, you've just sat by and watched people say that this is going to end freedom of movement. You're saying that you were campaigning to keep freedom of movement. When I saw that, I realized, oh, wait, so everybody's going to get screwed over. Remainers and leavers alike. And as soon as I realized this was going to go in a direction that even the people who wanted Brexit would not be happy with, for me, the democratic mandate died. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the key thing, wasn't it? Like nobody could actually, I think it was James O'Brien said it best, uh, unsurprisingly, um, when he said, like, as soon as you try to write this thing down, it just falls to pieces. Like yeah. there's no one specific version of Brexit that works for everyone that voted for Brexit. And as, as soon as you try to establish it and write some boundaries around what you would accept and what you would not accept, suddenly this guy over here isn't happy or this lobbying firm over here. Actually, speaking it, of lobbying firms, I, I wanted to just quickly touch on on something that you said there about sort of setting up these local constituency votes and and having this sort of democratic post referendum, uh, uh, like vote two point if you like. Yeah. Um. That to me feels a like like something would take place in a in a completely different Britain. Mm-hmm. Like I look at the way that politics is done in this country. And I don't associate it really with, uh, with like what the people want anymore. It's it seems like I mean so fracking is the the current example, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it's also true of bankers' bonuses. That's also in the news at the moment. It's also true of NHS privatisation, um, which is that it doesn't really matter what people want. Like if you ask people, if you ask your aunt or your friend from down the road or whoever you go drinking with, if they think the NHS should be privatised, you'll get a fairly unanimous like uh, no response. Mm-hmm. But it continues to become privatised because people who lobby and donate and think tanks and shady individuals want it to be privatized so they can make money out of it just like with fracking they will donate they might not donate directly they might funnel it through this company and that offshore firm or whatever Mm. but it's it's i i just don't recognize the uk as a, a a particularly democratic entity any longer i look at it sort of like once every four years we have this pantomime where we say right i'll vote for the guy with the red tie and you vote for the guy with the blue tie wicked okay well they got this number of seats and now these guys are the government i hope they stick to the manifesto then the manifesto goes out the window and then guess what they do exactly what the donors have paid them to do like a fucking administration function for them um yeah it- it's it. So, I mean, when we saw what happened with when I think it was Nadine Dorries who literally said when they were trying to get rid of uh, Boris Johnson, uh, I think the MPs who are trying to vote to get rid of Boris Johnson need to remember that the donors have said uh, that if they get rid of Boris Johnson, they won't support the party anymore. And I think those donors have, have donated £80,000 to the Conservative Party. Mm. And I think they need to keep that in mind. Like literally saying, we do what the donors tell us to do, not mm. what the people want, what the donors tell us. Now, it's obvious for me to bring up proportional representation because that's obviously my big democratic argument. But it's it's the argument against proportional representation that, that really shows me just how much it's not about what the people want. Because I often hear um, when I say things like, um, well, at the last election, the majority voted for parties committed to a second referendum. That means that makes up about 52, 52.7% of the vote for mm. parties with second referendum in the manifesto. And people will say, well, you can't just add up votes because the Tories clearly came first. Uh, hang on, hang on. You can't add up votes. Can you, can you hear what you're saying? Uh, like you, it matters you and your more. Arithmetic, Femi. Jesus. <laughs> I know, right? It matters more to them which MP came first among them, as if the competition among MPs 
is more important than the actual thousands of people in their constituency and what they what what policies they actually want to be governed by. Mm. It's it's more about the competition between MPs than the will of the people, ironically with the phrase. And that attitude is why the the attitude of, of the media, the attitude of politicians is so based on what we want, not what the people want. Mm. Yeah. Does it ever bother you like when you when you approach people in in a debate over something like proportional representation or or anything else that we've touched on and you talk to them about you know you, you bring with you stats and facts and figures and and then on the right i'm maybe i'm getting a bit tribal here but it feels like on the right of the political landscape it's just bluster and dismissiveness and oh it'd be all right project fear or oh you're too yeah that like there's this sort of really like a, a sort of old boy dismissiveness to it and I've, I always feel like on the left, people go away and they research this stuff and they fine tooth comb it and then come into a, a debate with all of it there prepared, giving you objective reality. And then you're met with this sort of dismissive, you know, lazy bluster. Does that bother you? I mean, it, it, it does. It is insulting. I mean, you come with actual facts and they come with insults or just dismissive propaganda. I mean, the fact, the fact is, I know this sounds horrendously biased, but like we're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, even from an objective standpoint, the government's own like Office of Budget Responsibility says that the damage they've done to the country via Brexit has done more damage to the economy than COVID long term. Yeah. So what they're trying to defend and saying that it's in the name of the people, it, it, there's no substance there. They can't argue it. We've seen with our own eyes, fishermen, unable to sell their stuff. Farmers having to, um, to, to throw away thousands of pigs because they haven't got the EU butchers anymore. Businesses, uh, what is it? The Small, small Business Federation says that I think 70% of small businesses have had trouble selling to the EU. Half of them have stopped selling to the EU or have to reduce sales to the EU because of Brexit. These are objective facts of how their product, the literal title of their election manifesto, Get Brexit Done, has harmed the country. And yet they're claiming to be operating in the name of the people and for the better, betterment of the country. So their core starting position is a position of being wrong and being liars. So of course, when you come to them with the present presentation of here is the reality, what they're going to present back to you is going to be the opposite of reality. Mm. Yeah. Do you ever? Do you ever think? Do you ever get so tired though of arguing with them? You just like because I, I mean, look, you're a smart guy. You've got a law degree, Femi. Do you ever think? Do you know what? I've really. I've been thinking about this and fuck all this. <laughs> I might just check I might just check it in. I'll go and work for Goldman Sachs. I'll just make a couple of mil. I'll, go, I'll fuck off to New Zealand. And like has it ever crossed your mind to just, you know, piss off? Uh... <laughs> in the nicest way um... possible. I'm just saying because I you're obviously a nicer guy than I am, because if I had a law degree and the opportunity and not the responsibilities like that I have I would be on the first plane out, I think, at this stage, especially having to put up with all of the shit that you have to put up with, right? Well, I went the other way. I was literally living in, uh, I was living in Vienna um, in 2017, um, and I came back to the UK to try and fight Brexit. Mm -hmm. So I made the opposite decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason, the reason why I got into, I mean, I, did, I had the law degree and then realized what I wanted to do with that was to try and uh, save the world. I grew up on superhero shows and you can't help it. Yeah. Um, and I went into human rights 
And then while I was working in human rights at the EU level, I, I could see the UK doing bad stuff in relation to human rights, selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, which are being used to bomb hospitals and schools in Yemen. And so I was already involved in what I saw as a battle for the soul of the UK, even before I'd heard the word Brexit. And then when I saw Brexit become a thing, I realized, oh, crap, none of the politicians have a fucking clue what they're talking about. Um, and so I and so I started making videos even with my 20 followers on, on Twitter and eventually it snowballed. And the more success that I got in terms of my platform, the more I realized, oh, I must be getting the success because nobody else is saying it. And so the more I felt a sense of obligation to keep going, keep going, keep going. And then we get to where we are now. And uh, leaving this, I, I honestly can't imagine doing anything else with my life because um, it is a huge privilege to be able to get up every day and do stuff that I am genuinely passionate about. Like I feel this has to be done. This has to be done because it's the right thing to do um, rather than nine to fiving for a paycheck. Um, it is a huge privilege. And so I'm not going to throw that away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I think you're one of the few people that's involved in mainstream politics that's not, as far as I know, you're not aligned with a specific political party at this stage, right? No. Uh, <laughs> well, I tried to get it to join Labour so I could push PR and they kicked me out. Oh. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about like Rayner's opposition to PR. Have you have you had any pushback from other people, either like sort of privately, and obviously you don't have to name them, but have you had yeah. any yeah, I, in fact, one of my videos I did uh, a few months back was in response to a private conversation I had with an MP. Uh, I did then send them the video and was like, look, here's the argument against what you told me. Um, and they were like, OK, I'm, I'm a bit closer. So maybe we'll see what he does at conference. Um, okay. But yeah, I, and unfortunately, an awful lot of them do have this idea. I mean, the argument he used was this notion of the constituency link, i.e. that because first past the post where it's based on the constituency, you have one MP per constituency that creates a, a very tight link between the MP and the people. Whereas under a proportional system, you have to have multi, multiple MPs per constituency in order to split them up proportionally. Um, and so there's a, less, a slightly diluted link there. The, the argument against that is that by definition, if you have the situation where um, uh, a minority part, a minority voted party gets a majority control, then that means that most people are not represented by their constituency, by their MP, because mm -hmm. they didn't vote for policies anywhere near like what the person supposedly representing them um, has. And even the people who do get an MP into Parliament, so for example, if you vote Labour, get a Labour MP, and that MP goes to Parliament, under the system we have now, that MP has no power, because the Tories have absolute control with the controlling majority. So that constituency link is meaningless, because you have no power anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I guess they, they still get to vote though in like, you know, like if, if, if a new bill comes across, they'll vote. But then all of these things are fucking, like, I have to really restrain myself because I'll go off on a rant about like whip culture and, mm -hmm. uh, cause that's another whole like kettle of fish. Like the whole thing just needs rebuilding from the ground up. Like, why is there such a thing as a whip who, who can basically threaten MPs? and say, look, we're going to put this bill across, three-line whip, if you don't vote with us on this, I don't care what your conscience says, I don't care what your constituents say, if you don't vote with us on this, probably deselected at the next election, out of a job. Like, how is that right? <laughs> how is that yeah, democratic? So, so I, I'm, I'm, I have a slightly nuanced view on this, and, I, and this is the sort of thing which I'll say now and it'll get used against me later. Um, the whip system mm. has its place but not in this system. 
Right. The whole justification for first past the post is that, oh, but you're not voting for parties. You're voting for an individual. You're voting for an MP. Well, um, so because the argument, if you're voting for parties, then you should get a, a representative proportion of the seats in Parliament. Whereas if you're voting for an MP, then you can argue, well, no, I didn't vote for a party. I voted for that MP and that MP came first, blah, blah, blah. But if you're voting for MPs, not parties, that MP shouldn't be beholden to the party. Whereas the whipping system means that they're basically working for the party and can be basically fired at any given moment. Yeah. And so the whipping system combined with first past the post makes the first past the post even more undemocratic than it already is. Whereas under a proportional system where you are actually in theory voting for a party, then mm. the whipping system makes a bit more sense because the party line is the party line. That's what you voted for. And you're mm. voting more for policies than for individuals. So it has its place, but definitely not in this system. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, a couple more questions to to pick your brain on um tonight and i'm I'm keen to get through them whilst we've whilst i've still got you uh i know that we're, we're pushed for time um if we look at so you're you're known most notably i suppose for for your brexit work and campaigning and stuff um if we look at how frothingly mad a lot of the country became over brexit um and then how that manifested through COVID, through things like mask wearing and jabs. Um, and now we're seeing the same sorts of things happen with uh, a hatred, a visceral hatred for, for Meghan, for example. Do you think Britain realises how radicalised it's become? I've often said that the belief in British superiority is our greatest inferiority because it's because we think, oh, well, we could never be like one of those tin pots, banana republic countries mm. that would become vulnerable when those things actually start to happen in this country. And we think, well, no, that's nah, fine. It's, it's just an anti-protest law. It's, it, it's fine. It's just it'll be fine. It won't. It'll just affect the extreme stuff. Oh, it's just like removing somebody's citizenship. Sure, it's it's fine. Oh, it's just it's just voter suppression, like ID. Like I mean, we haven't got voter card. We haven't got ID cards, but it'll be fine. Yeah. It's that constant like because we're Britain, we're Great Britain. Anything that happens is in the context of oh, but that's just the exception to the rule. We're we're still great, and so we end up just getting more and more accepting of stuff we should not be accepting. And I say we, and that brings back to what, what, what we said, what we said at the start. It's, it's a, it's a feeling. But when we think about it consciously, it goes away. The majority of people don't accept this stuff. They just don't have a clue what to do about it because, again, the powerlessness that comes from our current um, system. I guess that's the thing. Is it's like trying to make people feel like they can still make a difference at a time when they're actually really fucking worn down. Yeah. Uh, and broke in a lot of cases. You yeah. know, people are scared shitless about how they're going to pay, pay their bill. Like, I mean, financially, we live quite comfortably here. And I'm also worried about what this is going to do to us. Um, and how do you how do you take people who are sort of cash strapped and stressed about a myriad of things and then tell them, actually, yes, you also need to come and join this protest against something that every instinct within you, because you've been brought up to believe in this sort of British exceptionalism nonsense, everything inside you is telling you, yeah, no, yeah, I'll be all right. Oh, it's a load of hoopla. You know, I've, I read the Daily Express and it says it's a load of fuss about nothing. 
<clears throat> so a couple of things there. On the, in terms of coming out and protest, I, I mean, I, I, I get you. You're not going to get somebody who is struggling for, for cash up in Hull to catch a train down to London to, to go to a protest. Mm. They have bigger priorities. Um, the issue is making people aware of a that pol- how politics is affecting them, and b that they have a way to affect politics, and that's that um, circle that people. I mean, I, I mean, I know, I know when I go and speak to young people and ask them um, when I was doing the campaign, I'd ask them who here cares about politics, and no hands would go up in the classroom. Mm. And then the next question I ask is. Who here cares how much stuff costs in the shops or whether or not you get treated in the NHS or uh, whether or not you can get a job when you leave school and all the hands go up. It's about showing people exactly how and what levers there are of politics in that, in that link. And because people feel that their votes don't count, um, that their votes aren't listened to, if you live in the, I mean, the reason why Brexit happened was because people felt for, for ages they vote Labour in the North for their entire life, nothing really changes. The Tories and Labour have no reason to improve the lives of the North because their votes are never going to change. There's no chance of Tories winning or Labour losing. And so people felt utterly frustrated and need to, and need to take back control. So people feel utterly powerless. And so there's a pinch point coming up whereby we really need to make the point loudly. If Labour does do the right thing at conference and does support PR, there needs to be the biggest mobilisation ever in terms of getting people to say, all right, um, Labour is pro-PR right now. Uh, so vote tactically for whichever party is standing down, hopefully, um, or not standing down, but yeah, um, mm. because that will give you the chance to have a real say in all future elections and your life will be taken back into your own hands rather than having the Tories constantly dictating, dictating to you in ways that you can see with your own eyes are not helping you. Mm. But then like, how do you, how, how, how do you get that message out to people? Because I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, mm. I read a lot of news. I feel passionately like I I want to get out and tactically vote. You know, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't want to dob myself in for like voter fraud. But if if it was up to me, I'd go down the polling station like a hundred times and then keep voting like tactically for the same yeah. uh, party. But for most people out there, uh, their experience of the news is walking past the Esso garage and they see what's on the headlines and the sun is telling them something about megan and the express is telling them something probably about megan also (laughs) then you know and and because it's the the 60 percent or 65 percent swing to right-wing tabloids and because the right-wing tabloids are the best-selling ones the sun the mail um Mm. their perception is that actually yeah things are you know things are getting expensive but um yeah it doesn't matter you know everything's just ticking over like how do you convince most people who's priority that monday is not to fret about the cost of living crisis particularly but to survive the cost of living crisis well i was going to say to actually just to go into the office and they clear their emails and then they come home and eat their dinner and go to bed and they're a bit worried about these things they notice that the petrol's getting a bit more expensive but they don't obsess they don't drink in news and chaos and stuff the way that maybe Mm. you me and and people that we talk to do so how do you mobilize that whole section of society to go right yeah fuck this let's sort this out let's vote labor when they confirm pr or let's all tactically vote or like how do you get that message out that that requires, uh, I mean, I, one of the reasons why I know that I, it's not enough to just be on Twitter, I have to try and get myself on, on the mainstream media, is because I know that there are so many people who just get their news from, from TV. They don't get it from mm. um, uh, um, newspapers or, or from social media. 
um, they will get their news from occasionally watching shows, um, political shows, whatever, there's a whole bunch of them. It is about finding ways to get out of the echo chamber. Once you do get to those places, then you can have the conversation, but it does require, it requires a lot because you have to say, all right, can you remember what things were like five, 10 years ago? Things can be better. Mm. Um, uh, it's always always an interesting, like sort of pinch point there where you talk, (laughs) you talk to people who, who are like, you try to convince them that things are better or could be better. Mm. And they're like, no, no, it's, oh, we're too shit. It could never be like that. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, this, this, yeah, it is kind of shit, isn't it? Wait, how dare you say that about my country? <laughs> yeah, I, the Tories have a magic way. I mean, they spent the last four months literally saying things are going to be bad, especially Richard Sunak. It's going to be bad. We're going to hurt you. Just trust us. We're going to really hurt you. Mm. That's been the pretty, pretty much the thing that they've, um, their main uh, slogan for the past four months. Yeah, and like- there's almost been this acceptance anti-campaigning again it's the almost. sorry it's like anti-campaigning like vote yeah, for me I, I will fucking ruin you <laughs> yeah. um, um it's 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 weird because again it comes down to the uh british exceptionalism which is again is our weakness because we can't accept that other countries might be doing better than us and yeah. that there is a way for things to be better even though if we just open our eyes and look at how other countries are doing, we'll see that the UK has the worst inflation, i.e. the highest cost of living problem in the G7. So there are ways to point things to point to, but people need to be, it does require a conversation. Now, a lot of it is genera- generational because the younger generations, once they get once they get fully activated, they, um, they can see things for what they are. Whereas an older generation on balance is much more susceptible to the types of media that put Boris Johnson in charge. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing, man. Like my, <laughs> my dad doesn't have a smartphone uh, mm. and it, I'm tempted to get him one, but I've spoken mm. to my brother about this. I'm just like, look, it would be so much easier if he had a smartphone, but also, you know, let's talk about this. Honestly, within two weeks, he'd be fucking radicalized, wouldn't he? He's <laughs> 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 just so like yeah. <laughs> susceptible to that. He's exactly in that sort of boomer category yeah, of... Uh, I, 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 it's 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 bad i mean like we're gonna get really ageist on this but like i've got uh relatives who whatsapp was poison during the uh during the pandemic mm. the stuff that they managed to drink in it's bad um yeah stuff I mean, about look, I, like I, just to be super clear i'm not being well not intentionally being ageist i mean my, <laughs> my father's actually quite impressionable is really what i'm mm. getting at but mm. um but yes, you're right. There was there's lots of misinformation going around, and and typically and traditionally, the older generations are perhaps not as au fait with the technology as as people in the younger generations would be, and and would be able to uh, to spot obvious fraudulent messages or you know dodgy shit that they shouldn't be clicking on that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I just want to throw one last question at you, uh, Femi, if I may. Um, you may have picked up at the beginning of this podcast that i have a somewhat sort of downbeat beaten depressive sensibility where basically i'm convinced that we're kind of on the downward keel now (laughs) like like we peaked in 2012 and then after that it's sort of yeah i i can't i think the best days of britain are probably behind us and i don't really say see much changing societally until we fix let's say the influence of newspapers um uh, I think that's a big thing until we overhaul the parliamentary system, until we wean ourselves off fossil fuels. 
um and all of these are big fucking challenges in in their own right and i just i don't know man like my hope is on the floor uh you seem to be a lot more kind of optimistic and and upbeat about this stuff where where's your sort of hope levels for the future of of britain and mankind um so i'd say that i i i think the the thing that always i always go back to is because the majority votes progressive like consistently it's only been 2015 1959 1955 where we where the majority's voted for parties to to the well conservative and rightwards so that's the voter base that we've been dealing with and who we've always been. Mm. And on that basis, it can only end up going in one direction. That's where the, that the dice is weighted that way. Eventually, there will be a crack that pushes it through and it goes that way in a, in a much more sustainable way. And we have seen progress. We need to see a lot more progress. But given that we do now have a majority, I mean, even the, the study came out today, from the something uh, for social research, but yeah, um, shows that the majority we have a 51% in favor of um, changing to PR, to PR to proportional representation, changing the voting system. Mm-hmm. So that that groundswell of popular opinion is already there. And I don't mean like a plurality of like the 46 versus 23. No, over over 51. Um, and now that we have that, now that we have the motion and conference, Labour knows that's where its members are. The once we do get to that point whereby seats match votes, the Tories are locked out of power. Mm. It just doesn't happen. And there's a counter argument of, well, what if the Lib Dems go in coalition with them? Lib Dems got burnt pretty badly last time they did that. And if they do that again, guess what? Next election, they don't get any votes because they'd have facilitated the fascists again. Mm. So we, I, I am very confident as to where we go. The, the only thing that gives me pain and again it's the reason why i'm in therapy is the extent of the time it will take to get there mm. um i hope that we can get in the, the pr policy for labor uh, this coming week i really hope so and if we do get that we are off to the races in terms of really fixing the uk in terms of everything because as i said before how can you uh, how can you fix the climate crisis when tory votes are worth 18 times more than green votes mm. but once we do get equal voting the extent to which it won't just make votes equal, but the extent to which the younger generation will know, hang on, my vote counts. All the stuff we've seen, all the climate protests we've been on, about, um, on the anger we have at the climate crisis, we can actually vote and our vote will be worth just as much as the people who put us in the situation to begin with. That will get so much more turnout and so much more energy in politics. And I am looking forward to it, especially as you, I mean, you're on TikTok as well. You've seen what Gen Z are like. They are fucking pissed yeah yeah that that does sort of get you g'd up doesn't it it's um oh shit have i lost you are you still here femi well that's an abrupt <laughs> it's abrupt end ending of uh femi's appearance uh on uh this episode of a thompson and other disappointments um it looks like he's got some sort of technical issues so i'm gonna leave it there guys but we have been talking for an hour i believe um if you've enjoyed this episode and uh, some other ones, why not jump onto the Patreon? There's three tiers on there that you can choose from. There's a £3 a month one, which is literally just a doff of the cap to me. Uh, it's enough to get me a coffee and even a beer that I might sip to fuel me whilst I make my way through one of these episodes. Uh, there's a £5 a month tier, which gets you uh, early access to all of the podcasts, but it also gets you an invite to the London Meetup 
or meetups, plural. Uh, the first one is Thursday, the 27th of October. Um, and uh, oh, and also you get access to the Discord chat uh, I've just set up. So uh, there's a bunch of us in there. We're talking shit about politics, mostly talking shit about Tories. If I'm right, Let, let's call a spade a spade. Let's just say it how it is. Uh, we're talking shit about Tories in there a lot. Um, and then there's a £10 a month tier, which frankly is fucking ridiculous. You don't need to look at the £10 a month tier, uh, but it is there if you want it, if you really love the show that much. Um, and also, do you know what? I've thrown a little sweetener in there. Um, for £10 a month, you can join a Skype call with me and the other £10 a month types. If if you want to spend an hour with me having a beer, talking shit about politics over Skype, then that option is open to you on the £10 a month thing. But frankly, £10 a month is too much. Um, I'll be back uh, every Wednesday night with a, uh, a solo show where I talk about the week's news and just, again, talk rubbish, really. Uh, I try to make it as funny and entertaining as possible. Um, and next Friday night, I'll be back with a guest once more. Thank you so much to each of the patreons i'm going to go through their names now alex chris rax ricardo and silent and then t-rex oliver sarah paul and kerry thank you so much guys you guys are super super supportive and your contributions towards the show help it to continue and to grow and as i've said on other episodes i i want this to be my full-time thing like how cool would it be to have grown a little show where i get to talk to some interesting people that i record in my shed that's just, you know, a bit of fun and a bit of a piss take. And we build a little community around it and have some meetups and all that stuff. I just think that'd be really cool. Uh, so thanks once again to the Patreons for supporting. And thank you to everyone else for tuning in. Um, oh, fuck. One last thing. Uh, if you're not in a position to support the podcast financially, and if you've enjoyed this episode and maybe a couple of others, maybe consider sharing it around. Uh, word of mouth is the best way to make a show like this grow. And also, realistically, to kill a show like this. Uh, but please keep it positive. Um, so maybe press the upward arrow. I think it's an upward arrow on most podcast players. Um, uh, and just copy the link to the episode. And then pop in WhatsApp or Twitter or wherever. And just tag your mate or whatever. And just say, I'm listening to this podcast. It's a guy who talks shit about politics. Maybe you'll like it just like I fucking love it. Tell your friends. Fuck it. Tell your enemies. That's it from me. Good night, everyone.